You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, I will review briefly, uh, again, and discuss the general nature of the tribulation, uh, but with a more detailed look at Matthew 24, 9 through 14. I will also discuss the fact that the tribulation will be cut short at an unknown day and hour before the end of Daniel's 70th week. At Matthew 24, 9, Jesus taught that the disciples, or more specifically, those of the church that will be built by the disciples, the apostles and prophets, and of course, with Christ Jesus as the foundation stone. Uh, so Jesus taught that the church will at some time in the future be delivered up to a time of tribulation. Now, he wasn't referring to tribulation in general, as at John 16, 33. And Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Although that promise of finding courage in Jesus actually applies to any time of trial and tribulation. Uh, nor is it what Paul mentioned 15 years later at Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus was referring to the specific time of tribulation that will begin when the abomination of desolation is placed in the Jewish holy place in Jerusalem. Uh, at verses 9 through 14, uh, Jesus gives a summary of what will happen during that time of great affliction. He said, they will deliver you up to tribulation. The they here refers to the unbelievers of the world system, and more specifically, to the future Antichrist and the people who will worship him. Uh, they will hate you and kill you because of your devotion to Christ. Literally, because of my name. Uh, that is, because of who I am, my divinity, and my character. This attack on God, on Christ, and on Christians is all part of the angelic conflict. If Satan can somehow discredit the character and plan of God, he will obtain a reprieve from his assigned destiny in the lake of fire. All right, continuing at verse 10, tells us that during that time, many will be intimidated and ashamed because of any association they have with Jesus. This refers basically to false believers who claimed to be Christians, but were so only in name. These had never truly trusted in Christ as their Savior and will be easily swayed to deny him. And through that denial of Christ, they will become betrayers of those who are true believers. They will deliver up one another and hate one another. Mark 13 records it this way. And brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Yes, friends and family who are not believers in Jesus will turn upon true Christians and turn them over to the stormtroopers of the Antichrist the man of lawlessness, who is the beast of Revelation 13. And now the question that needs to be asked is why? Why will such as these turn upon their loved ones, their own friends and family? 
Well, there are two reasons. First, the beast's religious system will control the economy. That is, all the material resources that people need for both peace and security will be under his control, according to Revelation 13, 17. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. In other words, only through worship and allegiance to the beast will people be able to secure for themselves any kind of material comfort and security. And when it comes to the need for food and shelter, people's religion and morals will be greatly challenged. And during that time, there will indeed be a great influence of deception from the Antichrist and the many false teachers who are associated with him. Just as Jesus taught at 2411 of Matthew, many false teachers will arise and deceive many. And Paul wrote about it at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11. Uh, the coming of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now, it is at this time that a very serious and controversial issue needs to be addressed. These betrayers of those who are Christians will be unbelievers who have taken the mark of the beast and sworn allegiance to him. These betrayers will not be true believers in Jesus. However, it is also very possible for Christians to be deceived by false teachers and the economic attraction of beast worship. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Uh, the charisma and the false miracles of these false teachers will be very persuasive. The phrase, if possible, doesn't mean that believers will not be influenced, but it means that it will be with difficulty that believers will be deceived. Some will. But most uh, will either have the knowledge of God's word already within them or, or be convinced of God's truth by other believers. But for those who do become deceived and want to align with the beast, I suggest that such an action will simply not be possible. Now, here's the controversy. I believe that the Bible teaches salvation security. Uh, that is the view that once a person trusts in Christ as Savior, it's impossible for that person to lose his salvation. But for anyone who takes the mark of the beast, their eternal destiny is cut in stone, as it were. Described at Revelation 14, 9 through 11, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Since a believer can't lose his salvation, no believer will be able to take the mark. I believe that in, in such a case where a believer is deceived into thinking that he can take the mark, God won't let it happen. 
he will simply remove that child of his from the situation. The Bible teaches that as the ultimate stage of divine discipline on his children, God will take the erring believer out of this life through physical death. There are two alternative views that I will mention just to fairly represent the controversy. One, a believer can take the mark and thus lose his salvation. And two, a professing Christian who takes the mark was never a true believer in the first place. So now the second reason why this massive betrayal will occur is because the moral compass of most people will simply go berserk. Matthew 24, 12. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. The word lawlessness is anomia and refers to the general rejection of the divine laws of morality that have been established by God for the proper and orderly function of the human race. Now, you know, even among the cults and some religions, there's a strong observance of these moral standards. However, those standards will be greatly challenged by the economic system of the beast. Lawlessness is anarchy. Judges 11, uh, or rather 21, 25, uh, describes it this way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this is why the beast of Revelation 13 is called the man of lawlessness. At 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Here at Matthew 24.12, Jesus said, most people's love will grow cold. Uh, The partner of anarchy is the absence of love. Love for others. Uh, That is basic love for humanity in general. A person who becomes lawless will do anything and everything to promote his own interests, comforts, and security, no matter what the cost to other people within his society. This refers then to the absence of common love for humanity and love for one's fellow citizens within his society. It applies primarily to the unbeliever, although, as already discussed, Even a true believer can be deceived. Jesus uh, describes this moral lovelessness and lawlessness at Mark 7, 21, with a long list of attitudes and actions. Uh, For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. So whether it's an unbeliever, religious or not, who doesn't have or who discards moral love for his fellow man, or a believer who doesn't have or who forsakes genuine love for God, both will be ripe for deception. Now, during this time of great affliction, Jesus said at Matthew twenty-four thirteen that the one who endures to the end will be delivered. The end in this case looks specifically to the end of that period of tribulation. That end will occur when a sovereign decree from God the Father will simply cut it short from its expected duration of three and a half years. And when the tribulation is cut short and brought to an end, that's when the second coming of Jesus will happen. This will begin the time period known as the end of the age and the day of the Lord. 
the day of the Lord is the time period during which God will carry out the several steps to his messianic agenda of ultimately establishing and ruling over the thousand-year earthly reign of Jesus. Now, as to the statement, will be delivered. This refers to physical deliverance for Christians through the visible return of Jesus, as described in Matthew 24, 30 and 31. He will send forth his angels and they will gather his elect out from the earth into heaven. In other words, the rapture. As Second Thessalonians 1, 7, Paul describes this as Christ's revelation from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Endurance here then refers to believers who are able to stay alive during the great persecution of the tribulation. Of course, those who are killed for their faith will go into the presence of Christ in the third heaven and will await the rapture from there. Uh, later at Matthew 24, 22, Jesus taught that if the tribulation is not cut short, then no flesh, no, <laughs> flesh, no flesh would be delivered. That is, left alive. Now, this refers to all people who had not as yet taken the mark of the beast, but, but more on that later. However, it does not, and in fact, it cannot refer to salvation. For the length of the tribulation has nothing to do with how someone is saved. As I mentioned earlier, controversy rages around the issue of whether this endurance to the end is the basis for salvation or is limited to physical deliverance through the rapture. If a person does not accept the doctrine of salvation security, uh, then he will certainly apply this statement to salvation. If a person accepts the doctrine of salvation security, that is the fact that no believer can lose his salvation, then this statement must refer to the physical deliverance from the earth. Now, in view of these differences, it must remain unresolved, probably, except as presented here. So now let's look at this rescue of believers. The nature of the tribulation and the rescue of believers from it is described by Paul at 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. Since indeed it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. The word affliction is from the word group Philipsis and indicates the severity of the persecution they were enduring. Now, concerning these Thessalonian believers, Paul wrote about their strong faith. We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Uh, it is the faithful consistency in the face of affliction that is actually a testimonial beacon to the believer's status as a child of God and a testimony to God's grace provision that he gives in order to endure the trials and afflictions of this life. Now, whenever a believer radiates the love and righteousness of God in his life, it, it further serves as indictment on Satan who rebelled against God's love and righteousness. And, and actually challenged his justice. Now, continuing at verse 6 of Thessalonians here, Paul wrote of God's character as the righteous judge, since indeed it is just for God to repay with afflictions those who are afflicting you. The word repay is anto 
apodidomi, and it means to give back to someone in recompense for actions or service rendered. On the one hand, God is paying back something to the persecutors, and on the other hand, he's paying back something to the believers. Both paybacks will be initiated by the same event of the revelation of Jesus from heaven. At that time, he will give rest to the believers by removing them out from the affliction, and he will give affliction to the unbelievers by pouring out his wrath upon the world. Now, this truth is taught by language of principle, rather than a specific promise to the Thessalonians that it would occur in their lifetime. Uh, the principle here is that the justice of God applies to whatever group of believers are alive on the earth at the time that Jesus returns. At the time of writing, the affliction that is being endured by the Thessalonians and indeed by other believers in other locations, including Paul, is not the tribulation that Jesus taught about. But based on the context surrounding the term, the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, this tribulation could possibly escalate into that future time of persecution. Uh, that is, if, if the man of lawlessness were to be revealed. Uh, in such a case, uh, the principle stated in verses 6 and 7 would be applied and Jesus would return to both deliver the believers out from the world and to render affliction on the unbelievers left in the world. Uh, however, it never did escalate into the tribulation that Jesus prophesied. And, and in about 40 years after Paul wrote this, uh, God gave information to John in the book of Revelation that strongly suggests some very advanced technology needs to be in place before that tribulation could begin. Now, as seen quite often in other episodes, the general severity of the tribulation is described at Matthew 24, 21, and 22. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And unless those days are cut short, no life would be delivered. But what is the nature of this cutting short? Uh, the Bible indicates that the beast will begin his reign at the midpoint of the 70th week and will have an official reign of 42 months, which is 1260 days, using the 30-day equals one-month measurement. His official reign will go from the midpoint of the week until the end of the week. At Daniel 11.36 through 12.12, the angel Gabriel explains to Daniel some of the events that will occur in reference to the king of the West, who is actually the beast and the Antichrist. Those events will begin with the rise of the beast at the midpoint of the week and culminate with his destruction 30 days after the end of the week. Uh, Daniel 12, 6 and 7, the question is asked, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? That is, how long from Daniel 11.36, then the king will do as he pleases, until Daniel 11.45, yet he will come to his end and there will be no one to help him. <clears throat> and that period of time is also going to include the time of distress that's mentioned at Daniel 12.1. The answer is given as it would be for a time, times, and half a time. First, then, the general length is stated as being three and a half time periods, that is, around three and a half years. Uh, 
this doesn't refer to just the tribulation of verse 1. It refers to all the events that were described starting at 1136. As I said, those events will begin at the midpoint of the 70th week and will be completed 1290 days later. Now, Daniel 12:7 continues, And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Uh, this then gives a specific situation that will occur before all the events are completed. It will not be until 1290 days from the midpoint of the week, uh, that is 30 days after the end of the week, that the oppression of the holy people will be ended. The holy people in the immediate context refers to the Jewish people, and the focus at the end times will also be on them. The beast will set up his headquarters in Jerusalem and basically take control of the Jewish temple, which of course will abominate it. The exact nature of the abomination of desolation is uh, tricky to to uh, determine. Now, at Daniel 12:11, the ending of these events is indicated by the removal of the abomination of desolation from the temple area in Jerusalem. It says, and from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. <clears throat> the time frame for the effects from the beast is stated to be a period of 1290 days. It is three and a half years in general, but it is specifically 1290 days. Now, Revelation 13.5 tells us that the reign of the beast will be 42 months. Uh, that is 1260 days using a 30 day equals one month measurement again. This also indicates that the tribulation mentioned at Daniel 12.1 will also begin at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week and not at the beginning of the week. Uh, and it further explains the breaking of the covenant at the midpoint of the week, which is mentioned at Daniel 9.27. Uh, at the midpoint of the seven year period, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. Although not stated as such, this indicates that the length of the tribulation by implication will last for the 42 month period of the beast's reign and perhaps even through the whole 1290 days. Daniel 12 indicates that the end of the beast's reign will be in about three and a half years. Revelation 13.5 says that authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Revelation 12.6 tells us that the Jews who flee from the beast will find nourishment in the wilderness for 1260 days. And 12.14 says that it will be, in general, about three and a half years. Revelation 11.2 tells us that the city of Jerusalem will be under Gentile control for 42 months. Now, according to Revelation 11, 15 through 16, the end of the week will occur at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And, and even though Jesus will have returned at least five months before that, at the sixth seal, his official reign over the kingdoms of the earth will not begin until the end of the week. Now, by the way, I, I say it's at least five months before. And that's because the fourth trumpet judgment will last for five months. And the trumpets begin after Christ's return, uh, which is portrayed at the sixth seal. 
so it is at the at that time that the official reign of the beast will be brought to an end and the official reign of Jesus will begin. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks, uh, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, Jesus will then pour out his final judgments, the final judgments from God's wrath uh, through the seven bowls. Uh, they're described in Revelation 16. And those seven bold judgments will culminate with the Battle of Armageddon 30 days later, basically uh, bowl six and seven. Now, although the beast's reign will be officially terminated by Christ's assumption of his reign, the beast will still remain alive and continue to defend his kingdom until he's destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. So according to all these factors, those who studied the Old Testament scriptures would expect the tribulation of Daniel 12 and of Matthew 24 to last for the same length of time as is the duration of the 70th week, uh, is the, uh, the beast's reign. And perhaps for the 30 extra days as well. <clears throat> However, Jesus gives some new information never before revealed. Jesus taught that the time of tribulation would be cut short or amputated so that not everyone would be killed. The beast's reign does in fact last for 1260 days, but his ability to enforce his religious agenda of beast worship is going to be interrupted and impeded by the arrival of Jesus and the pouring out of the four trumpet judgments. Those four judgments will wreak havoc on the earth's natural resources and the economy. The beast will be unable to maintain supplies and control of resources. His kingdom is going to be in chaos and his followers from all the various nations will become quite troubled and actually become antagonistic toward him. But I digress. The cutting short of the tribulation will happen at an unknown day and hour prior to the end of the beast's reign and therefore prior to the end of the 70th week. According to the teaching of Jesus, the tribulation will indeed be cut short and ended before he arrives. It is then immediately after that shortening of the tribulation that the cosmic signs will announce the coming of Jesus and the arrival of the day of the Lord. So while the 70th week must continue for its established duration, the tribulation itself will be interrupted. It will be cut short and brought to an end by the sovereign decree of God at some unknown day and hour before the end of the week. Accordingly, it can be rightly said that of that day and hour, no one knows. According to Matthew 24, 36, 42, 44. Uh, thus, the image of the thief in the night was taught by Jesus uh, at Matthew 24, 43. And verse 44 then makes application to his coming. For this reason, you too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think. The image of the beast there, uh, pardon me, the image of the uh, thief 
is that if the uh, homeowner had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have been prepared and not allowed his house to be entered. So because of this image, the disciples and the apostles used the uh, thief in the night in their writings. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves know accurately that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Second Peter 3, 10. That the day of the Lord will come just like a thief. And Jesus uh, told John in, in the vision of Revelation 16, 16. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Now, Jesus said that if the tribulation is not cut short, no flesh would be delivered. If God does not put a stop to the killing of people by the beast, it's going to result in the death of everyone who does not worship the beast. The only ones left alive on the earth would be those who have taken the mark. So, continuing at Matthew 24, 22. But for the sake of the elect ones, those days will be cut short. The elect refers to those who have trusted in Jesus or will trust in Jesus. The inclusion of future believers in this designation, elect ones, it's based on the foreknowledge of God, but it's also based on the principle found at John 17, 20. Uh, Jesus says, I am not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So if the beast's oppression is allowed to continue, if it is not curtailed, then he would eventually kill everyone who is not a beast worshiper. This would effectively prevent the Messiah from fulfilling God's promises to the church, to the nation of Israel, and to the Gentiles alive after the rapture. This is a major issue within the ongoing angelic conflict. Uh, which in, basically revolves around Satan's attempt to discredit the character of God. As I mentioned earlier, if Satan can succeed in neutralizing just one factor of God's character and plan, he will nullify the divine indictment that was placed against him when he rebelled against God in the beginning. He would escape his destiny with the lake of fire. Now, the cutting short of the tribulation through the rapture is indeed part of God's plan. It's the removal of all living believers, the elect, out from the midst of the beast's persecution. And this promise, of course, will be a source of great confidence and comfort for those who will be alive uh, during uh, the tribulation. That comfort is inherent in the promise of First Thessalonians 4, where it's written, Therefore comfort one another with these words. And as Paul wrote at 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, since indeed it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. <clears throat> but the deliverance of the elect refers not only to those who trust in Christ before the rapture, even more so, it refers to those who will trust in Christ after the rapture, the future elect. After the rapture, there needs to be on the earth living Jews and Gentiles who will be able to trust in Christ and become members of the elect. And it is for their sake, the sake of these, that the days of the tribulation will be cut short. However, the return of Christ is also going to initiate the day of the Lord's judgments, uh, the end time 
wrath of God. That wrath will be directed against all who do not believe in Jesus, uh, not only to the beast worshipers, but also to anyone who does not know God and does not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, according to 2 Thessalonians 1.8. But because of God's great love for all of mankind and the fact that he desires all people to be saved, there will be a worldwide proclamation of the gospel uh, during the period of the tribulation and even after the tribulation during the day of the Lord judgments. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom, uh, the gospel is the everlasting gospel of salvation. Uh, the significance of everlasting is that it is the same gospel that was proclaimed from Adam's fall and throughout all of history. Um, Old Testament people were saved by putting trust in the salvation promise that God would bring the Savior into the world and accomplish redemption for all who trust in him. In New Testament people are saved by looking back to the historical reality of Christ's work of redemption on the cross. Uh, the idea and term gospel of the kingdom refers to this entrance and access into God's kingdom through faith in the Messiah. And that's what Jesus was talking about at John 3, 3 and 5 when he told Nicodemus that one could access the kingdom of God only by being born again. Another description of the everlasting gospel is given at Revelation 14, 6 and 7. But this refers specifically to the time after the rapture and is directed toward all those who do not worship the beast, challenging them to believe in the gospel. And I saw another angel flying in midheaven with the everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth and to every nation, tribe, language and people. And he said with a loud voice, reverence God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. So the gospel will be proclaimed in the whole world for witness to all the nations. The major point is that all nations will hear the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ before the day of the Lord's judgments come. And even after Christ's arrival, the promise is extended to all at all times, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Of course, the only exceptions are the beast worshippers who have already sealed their everlasting judgment by taking the mark of the beast. Continuing at Matthew 24, 14, and then shall the end come. This indicates an event that will follow upon the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. It does not require an immediate occurrence. However, uh, it does indicate that, that God's justice has been satisfied at that point. And there's nothing to delay his agenda from moving on to its completion stage. And now, since we of the church are left here on earth to proclaim the gospel, uh, let's be diligent to radiate Christian love and values in our life and give the salvation invitation whenever we have the opportunity. Just as Paul stated to the jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And just as the angel ended the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wants take the water of life without cost. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 